Turn your Bibles, please, to John chapter 20. John chapter 20 is our beginning text together this Resurrection Lord's Day. I'm going to read through the first 17 verses of John 20, making some comments along the way as I read. John 20, verses 1 through 17. Hear the word of God. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. Let me interject, as we said with our children, the first day of the week, Sunday, was the morning that the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And because we know that historically, followers of Christ, believers in Jesus, Christians, have begun to worship on the first day of the week on Sundays. And so every time you come to this church or any church on a Sunday, you are really marking, remembering, thanking God for the bodily resurrection of your Savior from the dead on the first day of the week on a Sunday. Going on at verse 2. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together and the other disciple ran faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came, following him, and entered the tomb, and he saw that the linen wrappings were lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed." For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. Can you imagine it? Can you visualize it? Can you feel it? That they saw the empty tomb. They saw the grave clothes in the tomb. They saw no Lord Jesus in the tomb. And what did they do? They went to their own homes. I wonder why. Could it be that they were overwhelmed? Could it be that they were fearful? Could it be that they were emotionally, physically exhausted at all the turns of events that had happened leading up to that moment? Could it have been that they went to their homes to somehow process the miracle, to catch themselves Scripture doesn't tell us exactly why they went to their own homes, but just that they did. Verses 11 to 14. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they, that is the angels, said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Why would it be that she did not know that it was Jesus? 
Could it have been dullness or perhaps disbelief? Or could it have been that their eyes were supernaturally veiled? God prevented her from seeing. Verses 15 and 16. And this is so precious and so personal. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. We are going to look in our moments together in the word to three spoken responses that we know from Scripture that Jesus heard as he was seen resurrected. And then we're going to close with one silent response to him as resurrected God. So the sermon is titled, Spoken and Silent Responses to the Resurrected Lord. The first spoken response I want to see with you is Mary's response, the response we just read about in the account. And her response was spoken, it was one word, Rabboni. In John 20, verse 16, it was first spoken as a response to the Lord by Mary. When Mary understood that she was not, in fact, speaking to a gardener, but she was, in fact, speaking to God, she uttered one word, Rabboni. Out of her reverence and love, she probably dropped to her knees and clung to the Lord Jesus, perhaps his calves or his ankles. The scripture doesn't tell us exactly where. And verse 17, Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me. I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. So the first spoken response from Mary was Rabboni. Well, what does this mean? The word Rabboni, the term is both in the Aramaic and in the Hebrew, and it means the same thing in both languages. Rabboni meant my great master, my great teacher. It was a term of great respect and personal loyalty, Rabboni. It meant my great master, my great teacher, not merely a master, not merely a teacher, but mine, Rabboni. My great master, my great teacher. She was respecting him as risen Lord, both as her master and her teacher. She was stating in one word her devoted allegiance as a follower, as a pupil of master teacher, alive from the dead, Jesus Christ. 
Mary was confessing with that one word that no one had more authority over her than Jesus, including herself. No one had more authority over what she thought, what she would do from that point forward, what she would believe than the Lord Jesus Christ alive from the dead. And in that one word, Rabboni, Mary was acknowledging that no one was more worth learning from and no one was more worth following in obedience than the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We might accurately say that Mary was saying that I'm all in, Lord Jesus. Every part of me is all in to being your believer, to being your witness, to being your follower, to being your hands and feet in your world. She was all in. It's interesting that Rabboni only appears one other time in the New Testament. It was in the account of blind Bartimaeus. Remember him? In Mark 10, 46 to 52, blind Bartimaeus was the only other person in the New Testament that called Jesus by this word Rabboni. Listen to the account in Mark 10, 46 to 52. Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, stand up, he's calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Only twice in the New Testament, Rabboni, Mary at the uh, garden after Jesus' resurrection, and blind beggar Bartimaeus looking for healing for his blindness. And Bartimaeus called out to Jesus on that occasion, Rabboni, because he understood him to be God. Blind Bartimaeus understood Jesus to be the divine, perfect, authoritative teacher and healer of Israel. And blind Bartimaeus, by calling out not only Rabboni, but twice, son of David, was calling him the promised Messiah because son of David was a very, very common Jewish term for the Messiah, son of David. And Bartimaeus called Jesus that twice. And so the point is that for the blind beggar named Bartimaeus, Jesus was Rabboni. Jesus was all of the following, God, Messiah, master, teacher, and healer. But let's go back to Mary. And her use of the name Rabboni for the resurrected Christ. 
In John 20, 16, she called Jesus Rabboni, as I pointed out. And then in verse 18 of John 20, she called him Lord. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples that I have, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. So for Mary, there was a tight connection between Rabboni and God. Rabboni, my master teacher, my my master, and Lord, God. Now, when we connect the dots, we can say that in that precious and private conversation that Mary had with the risen from the dead Lord Jesus Christ, that in effect, she said the popular chorus that we love to sing, you are Lord, you are Lord, you are risen from the dead, and you are Lord. And to take it one step, one important step further, it was like Mary was to say, you're my Lord, you're my Lord, you're risen from the dead, and you're my Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Is that your story? Is that your song? Rabboni? So can you whisper to him, in your bed as you drift off to sleep, can you whisper to the resurrected Jesus, Rabboni? Or on the other end of the spectrum, can you go to work on Tuesday and with unapologetic boldness and clarity say that my Jesus is Master, God, Savior, Teacher, Rabboni? Can you say that at school, students? in your lectures at UB, in your high schools, in your elementary schools, in your private schools? Can you, will you say, when you know Christ as your Savior by faith, Rabboni, he's my Rabboni. He's my teacher. He's my master. He says to me, jump, and I ask only how high. He says, go, I only ask where. Oh, that we would be an assembly where that is true. Yes, the Lord Jesus, risen from the dead, is the Messiah, is the highest master, is the highest teacher, and is the Lord. And if he, in fact, is all of those things to you as a believer, then I say good, because it will revolutionize your marriage. It will revolutionize your parenting. It will revolutionize your friendships. It will revolutionize your church life. It will revolutionize your money. It will revolutionize your witnessing. It will revolutionize your serving. It will re revolutionize your worshiping, your obeying, your praying, and your loving. When you truly see the Lord Jesus as Rabboni, highest master, highest teacher, It'll revolutionize everything in your life. Now, from Mary's spoken response to when she saw the resurrected Jesus, Rabboni, we go on to the second response I'd like us to see this morning, and it is the response of Thomas. So many of us, honestly, if we're going to admit it, see ourselves in doubting Thomas. He wasn't going to believe unless he saw with his own eyes and touched with his own hands. In John 20, 26 to 28, 
It says, after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them, and Jesus came, and the doors having been shut, and he stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, knowing exactly what Thomas needed, then he said to Thomas, reach here your finger and see my hands, and reach here and put your hand into my side. That was quite a spear wound, but a hand could fit into it. Reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. He moved from doubting to belief, and he did so with the confession, my Lord, Greek kurios, the most common Greek term in the New Testament, meaning Lord, meaning master, meaning boss, meaning owner. Kurios, Lord, in the New Testament Greek is the equivalent of the Hebrew term Yahweh and Jehovah in the Old Testament. In other words, when he said, my Lord, he was saying, my God. And then, reinforcing the first confession of my Lord, he said, my Lord and my God. The Greek here is theos, the most common New Testament Greek word for God. The true God. The true God of the Old and the New Testament. The true God of this church. The true God of every redeemed couple in marriage, the true God of parents and believing children, the true God of all. My Lord and my God. The true confession, the true necessary confession of everyone who would be a Christian. If a person says they're a Christian but can't say of Jesus, my Lord and my God, he's not a Christian. She's not a Christian. A necessary, essential, seminal confession for the true Christian is of Jesus, my Lord and my God. This precious confession in simplicity and complexity conveys the belief in the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the belief in Jesus Christ as being very God. I would submit to us this morning that the confession, my Lord and my God, is the greatest confession that a person can make. Oh, to be sure, there are other great confessions. You can do it. I forgive you. Till death us do part. These are great confessions, but they pale to insignificance to this confession of Jesus. My Lord and my God. That's the absolute greatest confession of them all. It's the confession that will shape your life in time, space, reality here on earth, and it's the confession that will shape your eternity forever. And so I ask you, is that your confession? My Lord, my God.
If it is your confession, good. That confession will sustain your ministry, your personal sacrifices for the Lord. It will sustain the presentation of your body daily as a living sacrifice. It will sustain the study of the Bible. It will sustain your assurance of salvation and ongoing forgiveness. That confession will. The third and the last spoken response to the resurrected Jesus that I want to look at today, at least, is that of John. In John 21, and we read that in John 21, 1 to 7, John's spoken response to the risen from the dead Lord Jesus was the Lord. The Lord. The Lord. John 21, 1 through 7. Listen, after these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. I've heard a good case to be made that he was by that saying, I'm going back to what I know because I don't know how to serve Jesus after I've denied him three times. Well, that is a possibility. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they, the other disciples, said to him, we will come also with you. So they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish, do you? Excuse me, children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. I love this. They just obeyed without debate. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. So John's response in the boat, having been skunked fishing all night, when Jesus spoke to him, John said to Peter, it's the Lord. Will you notice that in this case, he did not say not my Lord. That was Thomas's response. But here the apostle John said something equally precious. He said, it's the Lord. And here with John is not my personal Lord as it was with Thomas. Rather, it was the objective Lord, the actual Lord, the Lord whether anyone calls him such or not. And of course, of course, the raised from the dead Lord Jesus Christ is actually Lord no matter what whether he is recognized to be Lord by someone or he is not recognized to be Lord by someone, he is the Lord. It's who he is. And one day, everybody will recognize him. 
John said again in verse 7 of John 21, Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The Lord, the one and only Lord, the Lord we have followed, the Lord of the miracles, the Lord of love, the Lord of crucifixion, the Lord. It's the Lord. And as I said one day, everybody will have eyes to see that Jesus is Lord. Philippians 2, 8 through 11, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I'm looking forward to that day, and I'm here to say that that day is coming. But even right now, when people do not see Jesus as Lord, refuse to see Jesus as Lord, are annoyed by the fact that Jesus is Lord, he still is Lord right now, and one day is coming that everybody will see that he is Lord. That day, persons will either bow down to the risen Christ as forgiving Savior, or they will bow down to the risen Christ as sentencing judge. But that day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The issue becomes, will the person bow down to Jesus on that day as sentencing judge? Because they have rejected him, their lives, in their lives. Or will the person bowing down to recognize Jesus Christ as Lord bow down to him as their forgiving Savior? The difference in how one will bow to Christ is established while one is alive on earth. Do you know him as Savior? Have you understood the need of your life as a sinner? We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you understand that the paycheck you earn for falling short of God's glory and its death, separation, physical death, and eternal death. Physical death, the separation of the soul and the spirit from the body. Eternal death, the separation of the resurrected soul, spirit, and body from, a God, from God in a place that is called hell. Have you come to grips with that? Have you come to see that all roads don't lead to heaven? Have you come to see that only those who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior by saving faith are on the right road that Jesus called a narrow road in the Sermon on the Mount. And the broad way that Jesus mentioned in that same idea was leading to destruction. Which road are you on? This resurrection Lord's Day morning would be a wonderful time to settle that, that you would one day bow your knee to Jesus Christ as forgiving Savior and not as sentencing judge. You could transfer your trust from yourself, 
from church membership, from philanthropic effort, from being a good person, from doing more good than you do bad. You could transfer your trust right now from those things, your mommy and daddy's spiritual legacy. They were members of this church, perhaps. You can transfer your trust from those things and put them squarely on the crucified, risen Jesus Christ. That's how a person is saved. They change their mind about what they were once trusting to make them right with God in favor of trusting what the Bible says you must trust to make you right with God. If you've never made that transference of trust, let me help you. Make this your silent prayer from where you sit. Lord, I can see so many times I've messed up in your eyes. And I understand I can't make that right with my own efforts. I can't live a perfect life, barely even a good life. Thank you that Jesus died for me in my place as my substitute. That your love was demonstrated to me that Jesus would do that. Help me to trust Christ and only Christ for the forgiveness of sins and a home in heaven one day. And after I make this transference of my trust over to Jesus and I'm made alive on the inside for the first time, new in every way, may I follow him and get to know him, his word and his people better going forward. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And so three spoken Responses to the resurrected Christ. Mary, Rabboni, master teacher, owner. Thomas, my Lord and my God. John, the Lord. Now we come to one silent response to the resurrected Jesus that I want you to see. It comes from the 80-plus-year-old Apostle John. The time clock has raced forward from the early days of seeing Christ risen from the dead to perhaps 40 to 50 years later when the bishop of Ephesus, John, has been exiled to the island of Patmos from which the Holy Spirit gave him the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. He's been a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ when it cost him. And there he is by himself in exile in a rocky, desolate, God-forsaken, some said, island. Although, of course, God didn't forsake him on the island. And what we see in this silent response is in Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through part of 17. Then I, John, turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash, and his head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it had been made to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. This is so significant, church family. When John fixed his eyes on the risen and glorified Lord Jesus Christ, he silently and he worshipfully fell. He fell face forward 
to the ground. And he had nothing to say, and he had nothing to do. He could not say, and he could not do. It was as if he said, I was like a dead man. When the apostle John stared at the risen and the glorified Jesus Christ, he was silent. He worshipfully fell to the ground on his face. He was motionless. It was simply and appropriately and completely and silently submission and reverence and worship and awe. You know, I just wonder, have we lost our awe and wonder over the risen Savior? John said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. I just wonder, do we say too much and bow down too little in silence before the risen Christ? I just wonder, is the prophet Isaiah's experience of humble and broken worship largely unknown to us? Isaiah 6, in the year of King Uzziah, death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, and each having six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I just wonder... Do we know anything of what John did when he saw the risen Christ? And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. This Resurrection Lord's Day 2019, I ask myself as much as I ask you all, I ask, do we properly ponder our risen Lord Jesus Christ? His head and his hair like white wool, like snow, Revelation 1, 14a. His eyes like flame of fire. Revelation 1, 14b. His feet like burnished bronze. Verse 15a. This resurrection, Lord, did we properly ponder our risen Lord Jesus Christ. His voice like the sound of many waters. Verse 15b. His right hand held stars. Verse 16a. Out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Verse 16b. And his face, oh, his face, it was like the sun shining in its strength. Verse 16b. I just wonder... I just wonder. No wonder John, although 80-something years old, fell on his face at the resurrected Jesus' feet in silent, awestruck worship. And of course, from there, John on his face on the ground was motionless 
and silent as if he was a dead man. I just wonder, could it be that we have lost our awe and wonder over our life from the dead, Lord Jesus? The church I pastored before coming to you had an 800-seat sanctuary with vaulted ceilings. And I learned that a Roman Catholic woman came to visit our church to worship and to check it out. The usher at the end of the service told me, after I had met her, of course she didn't tell me this, but after I met her, the usher came up to me and said, Pastor, do you know what she said to me? I said, no, what did she say? She said, I've never been in a Protestant church before, and I just wondered why the noise level in it before the opening of the service was like the food court at the mall. I just wonder. I just wonder if we say too much and we bow down in silence too little. Of course, there's a balance, a balance between spoken and silent response to Jesus. I understand that. A balance between spoken and silent worship. A balance between Jesus' own words at Palm Sunday when he entered Jerusalem to the Pharisees who were insisting that he rebuke his disciples for crying out, Hosanna, and Jesus said to them, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. There's a balance between that. And Habakkuk 2, verse 20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. There's a balance. A balance between spoken and silent worship. And so in closing this message, I would urge none of us to hurry away from silent worship. By far the biggest majority of my most important spiritual life decisions have been made in my times of personal silent worship, either seated in a pew in a church building like you are, or at my desk with my quiet time in the morning with the Lord. Don't hurry away from silent worship. But equally, don't grow careless about attending public, audibleized corporate worship like today. Don't grow careless. It says in Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You say, which is more important, Pastor? When I fly in an airplane, which is more important, the right or the left wing? Kind of like both. Spoken, worship response to the risen Christ, and silent worship response to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we've covered a lot. We've covered three spoken responses to Christ alive from the dead and one silent response. Let's pray. Lord, we would be like Mary, Rabboni, master, teacher, owner, and we would be like Thomas, my Lord and my God. And we would be like John, the Lord. And Lord, we would be like John 40 years later, an elderly man, seeing the risen Christ again. We would be humble. We would be broken. We would be reverent. And we would be silent. Help us now, Lord, as we move from silent 
worship of Christ, who sung worship of Christ, to raise the roof from our redeemed hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name, the risen Savior's name. Amen.